You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, division of endocrinology and metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. What are recent suggested changes in care for people with diabetes? Joining us to discuss changes in care and treatment in diabetes is Professor of Pharmacy at Washington State University in Spokane, Washington, Dr. Keith Campbell. Dr. Campbell, welcome to ReachMD. Well, thank you for having me, Steve. Uh, we've known each other many, many years. That's right, and I think the listeners should know that um, Dr. Campbell and myself have had type 1 diabetes for a long time. I've had it 40 years. How long about you, Keith? 61 years and two months, not that I'm counting. Well, I heard you just say to someone that you were only 55 years old. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> well, you and I have seen a lot of changes um, in diabetes care over the years. Well, what do you see as the major changes in care for people with diabetes? Well, I, I think the importance of uh, educating patients to take control of their own diabetes, and, uh, you know, that's uh, been a theme that you have been... Uh, major promoter of for many years. And when I was a young man, uh, I was told that uh, I had had to live with the diabetes 24 hours a day and I should learn everything I could about it and take charge of it. And uh, I would get along a lot better than if I let other people try to take charge of it for me. So uh, that's that's been a theme. And in the old days when we didn't have anything but urine tests, it was a little more challenging. But my big... Uh, uh, answer to what's been the biggest thing has been the ability to self-monitor blood glucose and newer and cleaner and better uh, insulins and, uh, you know, just letting the patient uh, ed get educated and take care of themselves is is a huge event uh, versus what it was when I was a young man. In those days, it was the doctor did everything. Um, and now, you know, hey, you're living with diabetes 24-7, so the person living with diabetes needs to be the one most knowledgeable. What are the current problems as you see it now when a patient comes into a clinic? Well, I, I think there's uh, a couple of things. One is is that the, uh, the health care system is one of the problems because about 90-some percent of our patients are seen by... Uh, uh, physicians that are wonderful people, but they're trained to do acute health care, and chronic uh, disease states sometimes fall through the cracks. And so uh, I was one of the founding members of the American Association of Diabetes Educators, and I think they've done a lot to uh, focus uh, on what we started with in question one, is that the patient has to take control of their own diabetes and, uh, you know, be in charge of it and I think uh, nurses, dietitians, pharmacists, uh, physician assistants, uh, nurse practitioners uh, can really make a difference at the, if the patients are guided to those individuals and are able to uh, get trained and uh, be shown what to do and uh, you know get to see other members of the team. I'm a I'm a big fan of having a podiatrist who knows about diabetes foot care and an ophthalmologist who's a specialist in diabetes eye care and uh, make sure that you see a, 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 a dietitian, excuse me, who is uh, really positive about food choices and 
you know, doesn't give you a list of the things you shouldn't eat, but instead tells you how to manage uh, nutrition and exercise and medication. Uh, you're a PharmD. You work with pharmacists across the country. You've kind of been a leader in this area. Tell our listeners how they could utilize uh, their local and regional pharmacies and pharmacists to help manage their patients with diabetes. Well, pharmacists are in the right place at the right time, and the patient sees the pharmacist at least four times more often than any other healthcare provider. And so uh, they're well-trained in uh, medications especially, but many of them are becoming certified diabetes educators. Many of the chains now have uh, programs to especially train their pharmacists to to do everything from education to help assess the patient to very importantly refer them to other health care providers for specific needs. And they can also uh, help you un- you know help the patient understand uh, what medications they're taking, how they should be used, how they should be stored, and uh, how they could possibly interact with other drugs. So uh, the pharmacist is an important member of the team, in my opinion, and you're right. I've tried to really promote that throughout my life. You and I know that persistence of medications, namely how long do people stay on a medication before they just drop off or stop taking it, is, is tremendously high. And I think if patients really understood you know, why they were taking something, why it was prescribed, uh, that their persistence would be better. I strongly agree with it. Uh, but right after Thanksgiving, a friend of mine who's a Ph.D., and he called and said that his wife had been diagnosed with diabetes and did they really need to pay for the strips and did they need to really take all the medications. And, and so I asked him because he thought the cost was high, and I said, well, What's the cost of not taking them? You know, and I I think that's a good way to put it into perspective, and I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, you know, many of the providers that I see, you know, they tell me the patients come in and they say, gosh, do I really have to take all these pills? And if you have type 2 diabetes, you got metabolic syndrome, dyslipidemia, hypertension. I think it's always important to take a few minutes to at least try to convince patients why it's important. Hey, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Keith Campbell. We're discussing the changes in care in the treatment of people with diabetes. Let's talk about some of the alternative and complementary uh, medications. You know, and let's start off with vitamin D because vitamin D is like the big craze now. Every doctor I know is ordering blood levels and everybody's on vitamin D. I know you just did a review on this. Yes, the sunshine vitamin uh, has been studied, but many of the studies are kind of flawed. And what we find is, is that infants in their first year of life, if they have low levels of vitamin D, they have a higher incidence of developing type 1 diabetes. So the experts do agree that we should supplement uh, children's uh, formulas, milk formulas, to, to make sure they're getting at least 400 international units uh, every day. And we also know that there's a lot of studies that have shown that people who have low levels of vitamin D as their adults have a higher incidence of type 2 diabetes. And so, again, uh, we zero in on how many international units people should be taking a day. The new group has said, well, at least 600 international units. But what I like to zero in on are what are the... Uh, serum uh, vitamin D levels, and if those are below 32, 
uh, you have a much higher incidence of type 2 diabetes. And some of the people who are experts in diabetes and vitamin D say, take enough vitamin D, and many times that's 1,000 to even 2,000 international units of vitamin D3, and get your levels up to uh, 40 even. And so I have my levels at 45, and I take uh, vitamin D every day, and uh, vitamin D has so many uh, effects on the inflammatory systems within the body. Uh, the immune systems would be another way of saying that. Uh, and they have an impact on weight. They have an impact on asthma. There's over 900 citations of papers related to vitamin D and cancer just in the past year. What else do you recommend for people with diabetes? I know we, we talked briefly about vitamin D, magnesium, fish oil. What are, what are some of the other ones where there's actually evidence-based information showing that they're beneficial if you're low? There's quite a bit of uh, information about magnesium and vitamin D. And, and again, People with diabetes, uh, the diets that are recommended aren't very high in magnesium. And if you have a water softener, you don't get magnesium in, in drinking water. And uh, so uh, if your blood sugar levels are high, you urinate out more magnesium in your urine. And so uh, I'm a fan of, of supplementing with magnesium. There is a new trend going uh, about resveratrol. That's a, that's a, a chemical that they found in red wine. They've now uh, discovered what that chemical is, and we're beginning to see some pretty good, well-designed research studies about uh, taking uh, resveratrol, and, and uh, so there are some people that are starting to take that. I don't think we have enough double-blind controlled studies. I'm an evidence-based medicine person. But that's an intriguing one because it uh, it could have an, a positive effect. And for many of our patients, uh, uh, men over the age of 50, women over the age of 60, having them on a, a uh, aspirin tablet would be an important thing to do. I know you're a big fan of Dr. DeFranza, who's been on the show, his triple therapy. Give us a few words about that before we have to close. Well, I've followed Dr. DeFranzo since uh, I got in, involved in diabetes because he's kind of the world's guru on treating type 2 patients. And he uses metformin in combination with a GLP-1 uh, agonist, and then he combines it with Actos. And uh, by taking those three drugs... He gets his type 2 patients to a uh, A1C level of like 6.2%. And he gets about 98% of his patients at that particular level. And by using drugs that have different effects on different organs in the body uh, and using them early and using them in low doses, he gets few side effects and he gets great outcomes of care. And when you see that kind of uh, evidence and you have him explain uh, the physiology of diabetes and how it can impact uh, uh, type 2 patients, uh, it's pretty hard to argue against uh, what he is doing versus some of the algorithms that have been, come out from the American Diabetes Association, for example. I'd like to thank our guest, Professor of Pharmacy at Washington State University in Spokane, Washington, Dr. Keith Campbell. Dr. Campbell, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. 
Thank you very much, Steve. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And there's lots to be done in the world of diabetes, and uh, people like you are making a huge difference, and thank you. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. In last week's class, we talked about how diabetes affects the whole person, and we left off with an important question. Are we looking at every part of diabetes? Uh, To help us answer this question, I've invited one of my colleagues as a guest speaker, Dr. Jackie Brennan, who has been practicing endocrinology for over 25 years. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here to discuss a key issue in diabetes, whether or not we're looking at the whole picture. As you know, sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. Weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction are also part of the problem. Specifically, I'd like to talk about GLP-1 and how it impacts multiple systems affected by diabetes. Can anyone tell me more about it? Yes, Jamie, go ahead. GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 are critical to glucose control. Exactly. In a glucose-dependent manner, GLP-1 stimulates the beta cells in the pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibits the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. Anyone know what else it does? What about you, Sam? Yeah, doesn't it help control weight by slowing gastric emptying and inducing a feeling of satiety? Yes, and GLP-1 may also play a role in improving beta cell function, a key to slowing diabetes progression. But why is this so important? It's because at diagnosis, type 2 diabetes patients have already lost 50% of beta cell function. Well, isn't impaired GLP-1 physiology also part of the problem in diabetes? Yes, that's a great point. People with type 2 diabetes may have impaired GLP-1 activity and or impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. This could contribute to problems that develop over time. That's why the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. GLP-1 regulates blood sugar in a glucose-dependent manner, may help control weight, and may improve beta cell function. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about the latest treatment available from Novo Nordisk, please visit glp1analog.com.